One of the largest uh, Microsoft campuses in the world is here in Fargo, North Dakota, but so are a whole lot of small businesses. They provide local goods and services, their employers, their taxpayers, their contributors to nonprofits and community programs, uh, and they contribute to the unique nature of communities and to the economy and social stability of rural communities. Um, you know, we're in this kind of cooperative moment where um, people feel excluded from their economy, from their society, and so finding this, um, this using this model um, to come together and and uh, re and participate in the economy um, and providing services to the community and goods to the community. Um, is just one way to kind of improve participation um, and longevity. The biggest problem, especially as I've gone outside of Cibola County and tried to help people around the state, is an infrastructure issue. You need mm -hmm. good connectivity. And a lot of rural areas are s still behind on that, and they still don't have the connectivity they need. Hello. And welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. This episode continues our series about reimagining the rural West, the chair's initiative of North Dakota Governor and WGA Chair Doug Bergen. Each episode of this series will focus on different aspects of the initiative, examining challenges and opportunities in rural economic development, infrastructure, and quality of life in the rural West. Today, WGA Policy Advisor Laura Cutlip speaks with experts on small business, cooperatives, and remote work to learn how rural communities can strengthen their economies. Rural communities need a robust economic base that is diverse enough to survive disruptions. Small businesses can provide that stability, serving both their local community and tapping into broader markets. David Martin, director of the North Dakota Small Business Development Network, elaborates on that point. Most businesses in the United States are small. In fact, 99.9% .9 of all U.S. businesses are small businesses. There are about 31 million of them. Might be interesting to your listeners to know that about half of them are home-based, which when you get to rural development might be an interesting fact because businesses can be located anywhere, including in people's homes anywhere. Uh, and they're also job creators to economic developers and city and county and state officials. 41% uh, of the private sector payroll comes from small businesses. And they're important in terms of rural development and rural communities because they're Main Street businesses. One of the largest uh, Microsoft campuses in the world is here in Fargo, North Dakota, but so are a whole lot of small businesses. They provide local goods and services, their employers, their taxpayers, their contributors to nonprofits and community programs, uh, and they contribute to the unique nature of communities and to the economy and social stability of rural communities. Despite the contributions of local businesses, it is often difficult for them to compete with bigger retailers, such as vendors in nearby cities or online stores. Consequently, Martin encourages rural communities to be thoughtful about where they spend their dollars. We're doing a statewide needs assessment here in North Dakota to try to better understand the needs of small businesses across the state, not just for our services or the services of other uh, resource partners in the state, but also 
what is the local community like? What is the local economy like? And are they feeling supported by local residents and local government? Does local government buy what they can at the local level or do they shop elsewhere because taxpayers expect uh, the best deal for the dollar when local governments spend money? But are local residents and local governments asking local businesses, can you provide this good or service and can you try to do it at the best available price? I'd rather do business here in my hometown than somewhere else if I can get what I need at a good price. Mm -hmm. It's human nature that if you've got a job in another community, if you're going there for education or health care, for cultural opportunities, you know, to go to a movie, you're maybe gonna shop there while you're there. You might buy gas or groceries in that other town. But if you're doing that in that other town and not in the community in which you live, uh, then those businesses aren't gonna have as much business as they might otherwise have from the people that live there. And so I think it's really important for local residents to remember that and for local governments, city and county governments, school systems and others to remember that as well. And even if they would devote a certain portion of their expenditures on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to the businesses in their hometown. That would significantly help those local businesses. Cooperative business models are a popular way to keep spending and profits local. Kate Latour, Government Relations Manager at the National Cooperative Business Association, explains how rural communities can benefit when this type of structure is utilized. Yeah, I think the um, big part about cooperatives that makes it um, so sustainable and, and important for the future um, is that it recaptures this ownership and giving people a stake in um, the business where they work, um, the store where they shop, um, or whatever the entity is. Um, having that ownership stake, I think, uh, makes a big difference. Um, Co-ops are there to answer um, a market failure. And so um, they are predominantly responding locally, but as co-ops um, continue to grow, they um, will compete at a national level. We have um, a lot of national and multinational corporations that are cooperatives, things like Lando Lakes. Cooperatives are able to adapt kind of whatever the, the trends are, that they're able to compete. Um, and, and the difference there is that the workers or the consumers who are member owners are the ones driving that decision and reaping the profits rather than, again, the, the investors who certainly are more than likely not living in the community where the business is. While cooperatives have long been popular in agricultural and other rural industries, the co-op model is increasingly being applied in new ways. Latour elaborates on this trend. Um, you know, we're in this kind of cooperative moment where um, people feel excluded from their economy, from their society, and so finding this, um, this using this model um, to come together and, and, uh, re and participate in the economy um, and providing services to the community and goods to the community um, is just one way to kind of improve participation um, and longevity. And I think um, really looking towards the future, cooperatives are um, innovative. And one thing we're seeing a lot now is in, in the gig economy and using platforms, um, it's called platform cooperativism, um, using digital apps for things like cleaning services and taxi cabs and um, empowering the workers who are then owners of that company. So more of the profits that they generate are returned to them at the end of the day rather than an outside, um, rather than an outside shareholder. People want to work at co-ops and, and participate in co-ops for a number of reasons. Um, oftentimes, it is also driven by need. Co-ops are um, inherently operating in communities where um, 
where it needs to meet an economic um, opportunity. So things like um, what Lori was talking about on the panel, where there's a lack of healthy food access and using the cooperative model to access um, affordable, healthy food, so you're not forced to um, rely on canned food and, and or pay exorbitant prices. And having that ownership stake makes a little bit of that difference. As the baby boomer generation reaches retirement age, cooperatives are also being used to help preserve successful local businesses. This wave of business owners who um, are over 50 years old approaching retirement, many are actually working well past the traditional retirement age. Um, And the opportunity that's presented by um, those owners deciding to sell their business to their workers um, is, is, I think, really important for retaining businesses that have already proven successful um, in rural communities and being able to evolve as, as the needs evolve. Latour notes that another challenge for aging communities is the need for healthcare providers that can travel to a client's home. Again, the cooperative business model offers a solution. There is a, a growing demand for home care providers, um, and, and those folks are, are providing um, really essential services to seniors and people with disabilities in their home. Um, And it is the fastest growing sector, and that uh, workforce sees, um, outside of the cooperative model, that workforce sees an annual workforce turnover of over 80%. um, Whereas when that um, home care is in a cooperative model, the turnover rate drops below, well below 30%. So, um, and, and those cooperatives can also benefit uh, strongly from um, advancing technology using apps to more efficiently get um, schedules and payroll and things like that as well. Latour also discusses technology's role in rural cooperatives. Co-ops are just more um, innovative with how they use it. Um, I think, you know, there are co-ops like Stocksy, that's actually, it's a stock photo um, website, and that's a cooperative. Um, And I think it also highlights the importance of investing in rural broadband to make sure that um, as the digital economy progresses, rural communities are able to participate in it. Broadband access is vital in keeping rural communities aligned with today's economic opportunities, including the possibilities of remote work. Shelley Fawcett, the center director for SoloWorks, shares how her community is capitalizing on this opportunity. So SoloWorks actually started as an idea, as a concept out of this think tank based in Albuquerque called the Community Economics Lab. It is a 501c3 nonprofit. And what we do is we try to connect people in rural areas with few opportunities with Um, remote work outside of the state in order to grow the economic base. There's something called the service sector multiplier, which is really exciting because if the jobs that these remote workers are getting are economic-based jobs and located out of the state, then there's a new influx of new money, which then can support uh, local businesses by having more money to go around, basically. Fawcett goes on to discuss what remote work services like SoloWorks can provide for rural communities. Yeah, we, we try to help people throughout their entire continuum. Not only do we help them get assessed and see where they're at, but help them get the skills they need, get them placed in a job. That's the number one thing. We are a job creation program. Mm -hmm. We are all about the placement, but then also support them in the remote career paths because as these are economic-based jobs, they're really important to the community. And um, so we try to help them carve out remote career paths and continue to offer support and guidance even after they're placed. It's really important to us that we have 
the placement apparatus and that we are able to help people get placed in jobs. Because as I said, this is a job creation program. This is not about workforce development, even though that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to create the jobs. This is for economic development and bringing in new money. It is remote work is taking off and it makes sense to have a programmatic approach that supports your economic development. Still, remote work is not without its challenges. The biggest problem, especially as I've gone outside of Cibola County and tried to help people around the state, is an infrastructure issue. You need Mm -hmm. good connectivity. And a lot of rural areas are still behind on that, and they still don't have the connectivity they need. The other thing is a place to do work from, even if you, or the equipment. So um, we started in grants by standing up a co-working space that where people are able to come in, get trained, and also work from. The co-working space was really crucial and still is for some people in our program. As today's guests have explained, small businesses, cooperative models, remote work opportunities, and broadband accessibility are all integral components in fostering strong rural economies, enabling them to expand and innovate in new markets, both locally and globally. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about Governor Burgum's Reimagining the Rural West initiative, please visit westgov.org initiatives. And be sure to join us next time when we explore how rural communities are overcoming barriers to healthcare access. Finally, WGA would like to thank David, Kate, and Shelley for sharing their knowledge, perspective, and wisdom. So long, everyone.